Mr. Sandman, bring me a dream. Make him the cutest that I've ever seen. Give him two lips like roses and clover. And tell him that his lonesome nights are over. Sandman, I'm so alone. Don't have nobody to call my own. Please turn on your magic beam. Mr. Sandman, bring me a dream. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Nox Mente. Tonight, our guest is Aaron David of Charm, uh, Charm the Water podcast. After leaving the religious life, Aaron started his journey into magic. His blog and podcast, in many ways, are a diary of that journey and where it has led him. In addition, he feels all of his work is towards a goal of personal and spiritual growth. Aaron, a double Capricorn, is a native of Asheville, North Carolina. He fancies himself a gardener and enjoys consuming large quantities of caffeine. Finally, and least noteworthy, it is he is that he is the second Aaron we've had on Nox Mente. Welcome, Aaron. Hey, Jerry. Thanks for having me. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you. Good to talk to you guys. This is a real treat, especially uh, since I just dove into your chat over at Cruising with Steak the other night, which was an yeah. excellent episode. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Was crazy, crazy night. <laughs> too much fun. It was <laughs> eight and a half it hours was, of it fun. Was, it was truly epic. <laughs> By the way, we're not going to do that tonight. It's a school night. Uh, I'm uh, drinking some uh, skinny espresso or something tonight. What is this? Uh, skinny vanilla latte. So I'm having tea. <laughs> but Doesn't that sound like it could be a rapper's name? Okay, yo, this is skinny vanilla rap latte. <laughs> Jerry, <laughs> it could be anyway. I like all right, well, all right, let's just get going. So, tell us about the world you grew up in. Uh, paint us a picture of how things were, what affected you as a young person, so we can dive deeper into your unconscious. Okay, yeah, I'm uh 37 years old, uh, so I'm very much a child of the 1980s and uh one of the earliest cartoons i remember seeing that had to be really 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 young uh it was called mysterious cities of gold i think and um it had three characters in it this little girl and two little boys and they were on this grand quest to find the lost city of gold and i was like so into that cartoon I remember um, having a dream one night that uh, they floated into my my room and uh, the little girl motioned with her finger to me for me to come with them. So I floated up and uh, went out through the bedroom door with them. And uh, that's all I remember. But that is one of my earliest memories. I had to be really young and um, it's just always stuck with me. Uh, that kind of feeling for that show is kind of how I would describe how my interest uh, evolved 
over my teen years, twenties, um, I had a, uh, Pentecostal background. So that was, that was fun. Um, are you guys familiar? I, I'm yeah. fascinated by it. I was not brought up in the Christian church, let alone spiritualism like that. And we have had a couple people fill us in a little bit. I do associate it with snake handling and tongues and laying of hands. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I could be wrong, yeah. but it, is that, is that Pentecostalism? No, I thought I thought I'd throw it over to you because I'm a little out of breath. I just got off work and ran in the house. So one thing to go back to your childhood and what formed your belief systems, whatever your 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 outlook on life. Uh, what kind of um, mm -hmm. fiction did you consume most as a child, like in your formative years, teen, preteen, from there? Uh, Is actually, that long enough? Really, really. When I was really young, uh, yeah, I think I'm all right now. Um, my mom would read me the classics from like uh, Charles uh, Dickens and, and uh, Jules Verne and uh, mm. stuff like that. Uh, Huckleberry Finn, I remember. So, so from a really early age, uh, I probably was molded by some of that. And later on in my teen years, I got into... I guess I, I think the first thing I remember actively going to a bookstore, I think we had books a million and I went in and got into Stephen King, but not his novels, all the uh, short story collections. And I remember that's what like kicked me off. Uh, you no know, discovering books for myself. And um, I think from there I got into almost a little bit of everything except erotica and romance I just went full bibliophile. Full dark went side. To, <laughs> <laughs> went to all these rummages and collected every bit of science fiction I get my hands on. Again, the classics. Um, specifically, with science fiction, some of the things that probably impacted me the most. Uh, it's called the Hichi. Is it Hichi Saga or Hichi Chronicles? There was a series of them. Uh, I think Frederick Pohl was the author and of course Isaac Asimov and again his short story collections is what I really really dug um Dune of course was really big oh yeah Dune and uh let's see who else it's been a while since I've had time to uh, enjoy just reading for fun um or fiction in general yeah, Philip K. Dick, of yeah. course, is in there. Uh, Robert Anton Wilson with the Illuminatus trilogy. Yeah, he's a genius. Uh, Did you ever read Valis? Uh, it's oh, been a long yeah. time. Uh, I vaguely, we'll talk about vaguely that remember it. What was the so? As a as a child, what was the landscape of? the physical landscape were you in the country were you in the city uh no we were in Asheville, um right in biltmore village historic biltmore village and i grew right up uh my house parents house was right next to uh my uncle boyd uh the reverend his church and then he lived on the other side so my mother's family was associated with church so we were all really packed into that that life um pretty hardcore 
except I remember when Jimmy Swaggart got caught with a prostitute. Do you guys have any? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> my, my dad was so into Jimmy Swaggart that he pretty much was like, screw church. I quit. Oh, wow. So my dad kind of dropped out of the scene after that. And then later on I did. And, uh, like, um, I was a weird kid, even though we were right there in the city, I, I didn't really have any friends. I was super shy. I guess I still kind of am. And, uh, just was a really weird kid who liked to be on my own. I remember my parents trying to get me to go on vacations and go on day trips. And I was like, no, leave me alone. So, yeah. How did it, when, when you're, when your dad made that major shift when Jimmy Swaggart got caught and decided to leave the church like that, how did that actually affect you in, in the moment? That seems pretty dramatic. Yeah, I think it was, especially for him, uh, that created a rift in the family. Uh, my dad had been the black sheep kind of in this, you know, with my mom's side of the family anyway, um, which there's a lot of pastors on her side of the family. And, uh, so that would kind of even, uh, cemented this, my dad's the bad guy being perceived as the bad guy. So actually I've never thought about this before, but just since you asked me the question, that's probably, uh, I have that same kind of, I'm certainly the black sheep of the family. I'm the devil. <laughs> and, uh, I think I, I may have kind of picked up where dad left off and ran with that. Nice. Well, it's, I mean, it's great because you have, you've certainly acquired a knowledge base that is impressive. Oh, thanks. Yeah, so, I was, uh, no, carry on. But that few years of just reading, um, a few years selling on eBay. And, uh, this was when I met my ex-wife. We hadn't got married yet, but, uh, I was, um, smoked a lot of pot and read a lot of science fiction. That was kind of, uh, <laughs> wish I could do that again. You sound like my ex-husband. <laughs> <laughs> There's no reason you can't do it again. Yeah, really. I, it feels like I'm just at work, like 80 hours a week. I work 40 hours a week, but it, it, you know, when you're too tired, it's like audiobooks and a dugout. Anything the, just lay yeah, in front the of the doubling effect. Audiobooks oh, and a dugout. Audiobooks. Yeah, Neil Gaiman's, uh, uh, what is it, Norse Mythology. I, I think that was the last one I did with the audiobook thing. So do, I want to um, get right into the dreaming here. So give us an idea of, of your, the way you experience dreams. Do you dream? Now, after having listened to you, I, I, I realize this seems, but for people who don't, know who you are you're a dreamer mm -hmm. for sure um so how i want to know kind of about your process of dream recall to start with okay um a lot of times i don't remember it seems like only certain parts of the month um i'll get a big information dump or something oh that's an, like around the full moon maybe have you noticed when I'm horrible at record keeping, but I'm starting to know patterns. And I'm like, I should probably keep better records. Um, just writing down dreams is like, I, I'm so not a morning person. It takes me a few hours just to be able to talk to people. So actually like yeah. getting a journal out and 
writing in it. It just, it just hasn't happened yet. But um, usually, if it's important, I will have a good 24 hours. I'm like, yeah, that was a good dream. And typically, Charm the Water has become Charm the Water and Charm the Water blog has become where I'll go and uh, um, I don't know, mm-hmm. document it. So, so really, it's 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 you mostly rely on the ones that were more vivid or had more substance because they had to get past you waking up and getting into your cognitive self. Yeah, and it seems like a lot of the really big important stuff comes in right before I wake up. Uh, I may wake up from a, a dream, you know, during the middle of the night stick with me but typically these it's right before wake waking so when so when it yeah sorry it is a dog (laughs) it's dealt with um so oh man okay yeah sorry back to this so when i want to hear about what how you generally dream though so the the general the, the basic dreams is, do you experience black and white or color? What is, what does your dream landscape tend to look like? Uh, I do dream in color and the dream landscape could be anything. Um, I've just all sorts of stuff has happened, <laughs> but there are, I have noticed that there are certain places that are recurring, uh, there was a um, house on the other side of that church and it's called uh, the street is called summit street. And my grandmother had an apartment there and there was an old well by the apartment and they'd filled it in. But that I always got weird energy off of that apartment. And that's one place I'll have recurring dreams about stuff going on. And I've also talked to other people who grew up around that church and we're familiar with it and they're some of them in their 50s 60s now they say that is true for them too that that is a place that recurs in their in their dreams so i thought that was kind of interesting that's uh, fascinating than, actually mm-hmm. is there any yeah, local like folklore that, around it you know i've always wanted to research it and gotten into it but it that i kind of getting chills right now because I didn't really think of this until, you know, conceptually until now. That's where Charm the Water, the image is a well. And I kind of put that mythology of growing up with that sort of Charm the Water has a lot to do with that well. Oh, wow. Well, it's, I mean, as a symbol anyway, the well is a powerhouse. I mean, it's just so potent. And the fact that that has had a profound experience for other people in your area is adding to to the thickness of the energy around it. I always wondered why my uncle filled it in and he actually covered it up. And uh, but the apartment, it was like right next to it. The apartment always had issues with dampness and mold. And um I was wondering why, why would you fill it up? And it kind of made me wonder if, was this something that was rumored around the neighborhood that people have been throwing animals down at or like, you know, was there some taboo around it or why would he want to, uh, 
I am terribly intrigued like by this. Well, now that seems like a side journey. <laughs> you the, definitely to find out what the folklore is there. There's got to be something, and especially in your part of the country, Appalachia over there. There's so much richness with folkways, and wells, of course, tie into all that. Yeah, it's kind of this liminal place or uh, link to the underworld. Mm -hmm. I remember going over to his den his my uncle's house when nobody was there and i like to they had lots of instruments out in that den guitars and banjos and uh mandolins and piano organ and i would like to go play around on the piano and this is god i hadn't thought about this in a long time i was probably in my early 20s <clears throat> and i'd go over there i'd go down to the abc store and get me a, a pint of uh what was I drinking back then? Something, <laughs> some $5 pint <laughs> and um, sit at that piano and like kind of, I remember coming up with songs that had to do about a woman uh, associated with the well. So yeah, we're kind of, I, I really had not thought about all this stuff in uh, quite a long time. Well, it certainly plays a part in your, your deeper story here. So, all right. I, do you, I'm curious with this. I'm curious about this with anyone, and it's been a rare thing that people have this experience. But do you experience glyphs or words, numbers, left brain, right brain, right left side? Yeah, glyphs and numbers, mathematics and stuff in dreams. That kind of experience. Um. Not necessarily, but sort of. Before I got into magic, I wear two, um, what are these called, like horseshoe earrings. And I have a horseshoe bracelet, big thick bracelet. Before I got those, I had a dream uh, where this, this, um, it, it's like a torque, T-O-R-C. Uh, you can see pictures of them online they're they're almost a circle but they have two balls in fact it looks a lot like what uh inana is holding in each of her hands yes i'm totally familiar i i had a dream of that and i was just shown it and in the dream i could zoom in i could zoom out i could turn it all around and examine it from every angle and uh just look at it in extreme detail so when I woke up from that, I was like, hmm, I should probably get that. <laughs> so that's that's the why I wear these earrings as, as well as that cuff uh, for the, the wrist. It's really thick. It almost looks like a big uh, thing for a prisoner or something. But I just thought since that was such a strong symbol in the dream, unlike any so lucid and yeah. everything, that that would be an important symbol for me. But years later, when I touched magic for the first time, I started, ha I didn't know it at the time, but all this dream symbolism with the elements, especially fire and water. And, uh, my dad represented the fire side, my grandmother, the water side, and both of them have been dead. Uh, they were dead when I dreamed that and kind of these cataclysmic events with fire and water, having several of those dreams, uh, for several weeks, after you know starting lesser ritual the pentagram and stuff like this 
And so as I kind of progressed in Kabbalah and learning about the spheres and all this and that, I'm like, oh, that's the symbolism that is very meaningful and carries over from dreams. Like I, it made me feel like this is, you know, not necessarily true. If you want to take a skeptical thing, like, uh, I, I don't know why that symbolism of magic, I can so relate to it. Like it seems to be in my unconscious. So you could say, mm-hmm. I, when I first thought about it, I thought maybe this is a universal truth or universal symbols of the cult stuff. So I don't know about that. I haven't, you know, well, this is this is partly why I like to get an idea of where the landscape in which you grew up in and what, what people grew up in, especially dealing with um, big nature and religion, is that's kind of our early indoctrination to whatever this is. These are the symbols that are powerful. And since you'd mentioned um, the Pentecostal church, which I know has some wild symbols that it it doesn't seem like a heavy stretch to go from from speaking in tongues, snakes, and laying of hands to ceremonial magic to me. And then now we've mm-hmm. woven in the well, and and then just the general uh, old ways in Appalachia over there. This is this is fascinating. I love this download and that you honored getting that symbol. Did do you experience? So in getting that symbol in this story, have have there been other experiences where it felt intense like that, almost like a download? This is how I kind of perceived that. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you know my goat story. But, I just uh, heard it today and I want, I wanted to get that on air. <laughs> yeah. I do feel like that, that whatever it is, is still, um, well, I'll describe it like this. I had a couple of guys, that listened to the uh, charm to water contact me on, it was either the same day or a day apart. And they said that I had came to them in a dream and we had this long conversation and they'd been going through some stuff. And after this long conversation, they felt like a burden was taken off of them. And I was like, Hmm, that's interesting. Two people almost at the same time would say that that would be how I describe my interactions with goat. I can't remember them. I can't remember. It's, it's like, it's almost like I know something's going on, but I can't remember. And I I'll wake feeling like something's been worked through and I'm not sure what it is. But it's a visceral experience that you're having when you wake up from the residue of the experience, the dream. Yeah, there'll be almost just like that. Uh, it's almost like a residual, like that was goat. Uh, and that's happened with the the lady that was in my initial experience too. Uh, it hasn't happened in a while, but I used to have her appear as different women in my dreams. And I would always know it would be her because in the dream, she would embrace me from behind and I would wake up and I could feel that warm embrace still on me after I woke up. And it was the, the best feeling ever. That's incredible. Can you, can you tell wait, us wait, wait. about this question of our statement? You know, you could consider those specifically the goat thing as download. I get the feeling that's what's going on that, uh, 
some deep programming mojo stuff <laughs> within my psyche is being fuddled with or programmed <laughs> which is great cuz i mean i i mean my psyche is not all that uh optimized as is so i i think changes <laughs> any changes will probably be for the better well i i wasn't suggesting it was bad it was just you know another way to download data just program it in mm-hmm. i do get that well i mean just like since i've coming from the pentecostal thing and what you said about uh uh the the um it's not a big leap uh um from that to ceremonial magic i lost my train of thought there for a second oh yeah the the aspects uh, of pentecostalism to ritual magic mm-hmm after I got involved, like about in my mid twenties with Pentecostalism, it didn't take me long to see like, this is not for me because it's so like you, that spiritualism or the enthusiastic, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Ecstatic, like this singing and waving your hands around and Mm -hmm. going into almost trances. And it's very public. It's very loud. It's very visceral. I hated all that. I wanted to sit down and hear like a thought out sermon and just be able to sit there <laughs> and have like the a philosophy mental of it. Really? Sounds like, like you were more the into what? the philosophy, the theology seemed to be more interesting. Yeah, yeah definitely. The, yeah. Physical aspects. Sorry. I didn't I like the experiential me. stuff at all. So you're, when I went to Calvinism, that was what it was for because that was like purely, mental exercises and stuff and then to come to magic it is coming back to this experiential uh thing which it annoys me but uh it's so much better than just the the intellectual games uh that people pay play with beliefs and uh belief systems it's just i came to view them all as uh, intricate logic games people like to play and get angry about. Uh, the experiential thing is just blows that away. On top of that, you, I think that the ritual magic offers you a little bit of both. You can study the theology yeah, that's unquote, true. of magic, and you can fiddle yes. with the rituals if you don't like it. To some degree, yeah, I think it to be even be, yeah, to even be able to begin to understand the, you know, even just the ten spheres. Uh, it takes a long time and some reading to be begin to understand what such a, a vast model, how it works and how they, what their purpose is in the chain of manifestation and like um, recognizing them in yourself. Uh, same with the elements. It takes a bit of study to even break through that little bit of a learning curve. I can imagine. <laughs> As I'm reading the Seven Spheres book now. Anyway, sorry, Nish. I didn't mean to derail you. It, I feel like this is for an after show. Um, so do I guess riding that wave, do you dream with, do you do magic in your dreams at this point now? Is there a connection above and below happening? Uh, I have. This happened a while back. My, um, 
came to me in a dream and he he does periodically and he said he was going to leave and i started using uh god names on him to try to bind him <laughs> here um which i don't know if that was a good idea oh, wow. <laughs> but the, that's the first time i had broken out with like intoning god names in, in a dream and that's happened a few more times uh this uh, last lunar eclipse um i had a wand in a couple of different dream sequences and that played out and uh I'm trying to think of uh during the mars initiation there was a female spirit uh kind of came to me and um I would say that was, yeah, there's definitely magical stuff going on, uh, in, in those, uh, dreams. Could you dive into this experience with your father showing up in the dream and possibly in other dreams? How do you experience him? And then what do you think, um, brought about calling in the, the sacred names and all this? I'm interested in the in death mm -hmm. is connected to the dream state as well. Yeah, he died in 2012, and I didn't have a lot of dreams about him. And um, I decided to start a uh, put up an ancestor altar, and uh, it's using uh, Coleman's book on necromancy, and I kind of mixed some hoodoo in there with the uh, Blackhawk altar it's kind of my own no thing. chaos protocol protocols <laughs> no <laughs> uh in fact that's the only one of gordon's books that i haven't read yet well there's only three i think but um so i, I set up first you know you're supposed to add like 12 ancestors uh, according to coleman to start out with and i started doing them one by one well, i think the first one was my dad and I can't remember if I put anybody else on it at first or not. I may have, but anyway, that very first night after having done that, my dad shows up in a dream and we're in a sort of apartment building in downtown Asheville. And my dad introduces me to this. He's like a little dwarf and he's, he's somehow related to us. And, um, me it, it's, I've thought about it. We have diabetes in our family. And there was one guy who had his legs cut off. I'm saying if you had your legs cut off, you might look like this guy. <laughs> I, that association seems quite possible for real. We in the dream, we had this like huge, long conversation and uh, I ended up crying and uh, it was very emotional, which I tend to stay away from emotional stuff. But uh, as I go on, I realize that's not good to uh, suppress emotions. And I think that's, that's what was a lot going on with my dad popping up. And uh, after that, he would pop up periodically. And uh, it seemed to be, like I remember the last one, he came, and this wasn't all that long ago, and he was furious at me. And it, I think we like started exchanging blows, which oh, wow. that's not a typical, that never happened anything remotely like that in real life. And I don't know why he was so furious. Um, and then there's the ones where mm, he doesn't seem to be portraying any emotion at all. 
I've had that with a lot of dead people where they just kind of seem to be expressionless and they're just kind of there observing. Uh, I kind of get a, get a mixed bag with my dad. With the with this particular dream with your father where it was super emotional, did so you were able to maintain the high emotion and the dream rather than waking up from being in a state of high emotional, almost trauma that can happen. Yeah, it was, again, I don't remember the conversation I had. The little guy's name was Edward. And um, my dad was just kind of letting us talk it out. He was present, but the conversation was with Edward and me. And I was just remember weeping and, mm-hmm. um, it was like that kind of programming stuff we were talking about. I don't know exactly what went on in that, but it was huge. And for this to happen on the very first night after putting up the ancestor altar, it even made it more huge. Yes. And right at the end of the dream, kind of my dad and Edward and me walked off in this kind of big emotional thing, you know, kind of the crying was over and now it was just kind of peaceful feeling. And I was walking, walking down the road with both Edward and my dad. And I said, so how Edward, how, how are you related to us? I knew he was somehow that had come out. That's kind of how my dad introduced Edward. And he just kind of looked off and he was like, I I don't really know. And that was the end of the dream. Well, that's fascinating because often with emotional content, that's, that's hard, especially when someone, when you're doing with someone who's dead, there's an auxiliary function that happens. And sometimes it's an actual that, I mean, Edward is an actual took it, took the form of a person rather like for me with my mother, it became panes of glass or through rooms. So it wasn't one-on-one where I was dealing with her emotionally. Mm. And so Edward seemed to be what you were focusing on to move through this emotional content. And that's fascinating Mm. that, that, there's um, a thread of continuity with other other dreams I've heard on this. Do you do? You, how do you experience lucidity in dreams, and and in in particular lucidity that breaks you into maybe full on astral projection or altered states through dreaming? Mm-hmm. I've not messed with a lot of that stuff. I know the Golden Dawn they start you off with the Tatwa cards projecting into astral stuff. I've not done a lot of that type work. And I would only say I've had a handful of really lucid dreams. This is going to reveal my perversion level. Yay. Uh, (laughs) Bring it on. There was a recurring lucid dream where I would be in this parking lot and there would be all these people there, just like masses of people. And I would be sitting in a lotus position floating around uh, and I knew I was the Dalai Lama. And so what I would do was go and inappropriately fondle any woman I wanted to from this <laughs> mass of people out there. And somehow <laughs> it was, it was lucid. I like knew I was dreaming and I knew I could do what I wanted. So that's what <laughs> I would want to do. And, um, there's been a few others. One, I would say the best lucid dream I've had was where I could actually build the dream scape and it was it, it kind of, and I was like 
these were almost different sets uh, being put up, constructed, and I controlled the story, how it would go, like what happened. And I knew I was doing this in the dream. But other than that, there hasn't been a whole lot of um, what I would call lucid dreams. So in either of these examples you've given, were there were there others in those dreams where you were feeling the lucidity or was it just you in control of the environment? Uh, the one where I was controlling a lot of it, it's there were a few other people, but it seemed like everybody else was just kind of like actors or not really real people. Yeah, filler. Mm. But in the Dalai Lama dreams, those actually seem like real people. Um, like there was just hundreds and hundreds of them. And each one of them were so unique. There was all different ages, shapes, races. There was just such a broad spectrum of hundreds and hundreds of people. Do you remember, a, that's fascinating, and so I want to maybe hone in on that for a minute. Do you remember what was going on in the world around the time you had that dream? Because it sounds like a major event, possibly. I don't. That was probably before I got into magic. Um, those have been a while back. I hope I've matured a little bit, and uh, that's not what I... Well, it's you not, know, that's it, just, that's the space level that, yeah, that's, yeah, I think yeah, we yeah. all experience, but the fact that you were in that space, mm -hmm. so many different types of people and you were lucid really, you know, one comes to mind, lots of things, different convergences that happen, like the harmonic convergence, whatever, just big events where mm -hmm. there are lots of people gathered. Um, that's mm -hmm. what struck me as possibly interesting, but of course now we don't know the the timing, but that's, mm. that's pretty significant. I think. I would guess that it was when, um, I was starting in that period of two or three years where I was reading a lot and being exposed to a whole lot of new ideas, uh, that I'd never come across before. Do you have, uh, do you experience nightmares or night terrors at all? Hmm. Uh, only around this magical stuff. Oh, <laughs> it's like, I, I can't do my dreams is not magical now. Uh, it seems like every, I mean, the symbolism is, is just there and I'm like, okay, this has to do with what I'm doing over here or this is a message. So, uh, the, probably one of the worst ones was right before my Mars initiation, I had this dream of shifting these elevators and they would shift through time and place. And there was all these almost like agents moving around. And, uh, I felt like I needed clearance to be there, but I was just kind of laying low and moving through all of this weird gates and stuff. And I came to this, it's like you would get in the elevator and they would open and it, it would be opened on some somewhere totally some other place and time that you leave this uh, core from. Uh, so I ended up in front of this door and it started melting and I knew I glimpsed on the on the back side of it 
it was just like this hell run hell realm and what are the things from lord of the rings is it balrog like the huge yes fiery demon thing yeah that's what was on the other side <laughs> of it and i was using my hands to try to spread this uh melting metal to try to keep the door th- this gate shut but it was like i was losing the battle and i woke up and uh did you right scream, after that you shall and- not pass that's why it didn't work <laughs> right right after that it was when the car wrecks happened with me and kelly's and our, our cars both of them were totaled and oh, i think wow. that was that was like saying and then after that i was like okay i'm i'm uh, headed to mars and so i think that kind of nightmare was uh one i think it was saying there's a big uh kind of violent force which is mars coming and it came and then you know let's see the last kind of night here thing was the lunar lunar uh partial lunar eclipse and man that was that was that was really weird uh scary just because there's these powerful juju entities and um it's like when they show up you just kind of want want to run the other way mm-hmm. but other than that there's not been any like that i can remember like really nightmarish uh type things do you experience um sensations like smell or touch and other senses besides visual and and audio uh, this just happened, I think, a day or two ago. I, in a dream, had picked up a werewolf mask, and I was kind of uh, just looking at it. And I was feeling the the fur, and it kind of felt like, you know, you know how plastic masks are. The the hairs just feels all like plasticky mm-hmm. and not like real hair. Yeah. And I was feeling it like that, and it was it was kind of creeping me out. But then I was like, oh, this is just a cheap masks so i do remember feeling this was textures in your dream? and stuff picking mm-hmm. up a werewolf mask that's fantastic <laughs> that <laughs> seriously great and that you had a sensation of touch that's interesting i'm trying to remember an instance of smell um nothing's coming to mind uh, i don't know if i uh i'm not sure we need to get Josh on here. Ask him. Yeah. I'm sure he had uh, some interesting dreams during the writing of his. Yeah. I, I want to find out. It's, I just uh, thought, I just thought of them. Like, oh, that's a great idea. Sorry. So this mer- werewolf mask dream was during the partial lunar eclipse. Uh, no, this was uh, just a couple of days ago. And what what else was going on? Is so. I mean, immediately, I think, wow, this is um, this is a cathartic moment, and because we're talking about a mask, and then we're talking about a werewolf, and then you had the added added aspect of a sensation such as touch, feel. Mm-hmm. Um, this seems like you're on the crux of something major. I'm planning a uh, lunar initiation. And so the first thing I thought when I woke up was like, great, this is moon stuff. I mean, the mm-hmm. werewolf transforms. Absolutely. The, so, and there's been a lot of other waking stuff. It seems to all be culminating around 
around this big lunar thing that's coming up. Uh, for instance, I think I mentioned this before, but I just came across a Datura anoxia plant. Oh, nice. Um, which is sort of Hecate's, uh, one of her goodies. Sacred Hecate. Associated with her. And so, yeah, that's something I've been looking into. Um, the the triple goddess and Hecate, Selene, mm-hmm. Luna. Uh, there seems to be lots of... There are lots of iterations on it, on the triple goddess. Yeah. Um, I Like I said, I had no interest in goddesses or any sort of... I would consider that neo-pagan. Like, I'm not interested in this as at all but um like yeah it's actually I, tied into ancient greece and egypt and rome like when you experience them on like this you know dream level or visionary level uh with synchronicities on i mean you can't really i, I get the idea there's lots of people in uh I, when i get a whiff of anything religious uh, I kind of run the other way. And yeah. so there's a local magic shop here and uh, they seem kind of like they're, I don't know, this is kind of judging people, but I just kind of get that religious feel. Maybe, maybe it's just my background, but I'm slowly kind of being uh, forced to like, well, <laughs> here's their triple moon goddess right here. Yes. Yeah. Well, and that's part of, again, in looking at symbols for people is why it's important to understand what, what one grew up in. So if you had a Christian experience, oftentimes it seems there is a knee jerk reaction later, if there's been a transformation, I wasn't brought up in it. So I don't even, I find it fascinating. I find myself asking Christians (laughs) about all the dark, Mm -hmm. scary stuff. I want to, I want to move into uh, deja vu. Mm-hmm. Do you experience them? Have you experienced them? Yeah, quite often. Um, I just did recently. I remember telling somebody I, that, I, uh, that I was getting it big time then. Um, probably I, it happens fairly regularly. What do you What do you think's going on there? I'm not really sure. Uh, you know, I was kind of... the 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 things where it happens don't seem to be big. Uh, I might be on a show talking to somebody and I get the feeling like we've done this before. Like I've already done this. Um, so they're not huge things. So I don't know if it's something with time, but I've seen how bendy time seems to be with the magic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, seems like you don't know if, are you calling the spirits or are the spirits calling you? Because even before you go to do a, a right, it's like already the impacts start hitting before, before you do it. So I kind of look at time as something much more uh, loose uh, than I had before. And I um, uh, forgot what else I was going to say about that. <laughs> Well, was, I was just trying to tie in deja vu. Sometimes they um, can, it's a, it's a definitely a, an experience that seems kind of altered, fits in with the dream. 
Mm-hmm. It's a lot like that. Like when you experience this synchronicity, it's just kind of that really odd mm-hmm. feeling where you're like, something's going on here. Uh, this isn't, this is something out of the ordinary. What do you think dreams are? What do you think is going on? Uh, my biggest influence is a guy named J.M. DeBoard, uh, who had dreams one, two, three. It's talking about, teaches you how to interpret your dreams. Um, so I look at them uh, kind of from a, a Jungian perspective, which I've just uh, dabble in enough to probably sound stupid when I go to talk about it. <laughs> but um, I definitely would say from what I know, I have a, that Jungian perspective where the unconscious, and I think there's a collective unconscious. I think there's symbols that are universal. And then I think there's symbols also that are particular to the individual. Mm-hmm. And I think whatever it is, once you start paying attention to the dreams, it's almost like the communication reinforces itself and gets stronger. I, I hear people say all the time, I don't dream. I don't dream. Uh, and they just kind of shrug it off. And I'm like, well, maybe if you would say tonight, I'm going to dream and have like a dream journal by your bed. Maybe I think that would k- kick it off. Uh, so it, it seems to be something that is conscious of you and your position towards it. Yeah, I, um, I hear you. I I've heavy leaning towards the union aspect as well, which is how this whole outline has come about with pinning down your early symbols so that we can understand mm-hmm. where you are now is as far as understanding these things. What do you think about the process of death as another state of consciousness tied into dreams because like memory dreams and death they're all intangible like we can't reach for them but they somehow seem strangely related Mm -hmm. and are definitely something we all experience yeah uh seems like that's where dead people must show up (laughs) is uh through dreams and um you know through my venus initiation not only did I get goat and some woman, uh, but also my uncle, my dead uncle, the preacher. And he looked like he had just woken up. Um, and he had a tumor under his chin. Mm-hmm. that was covered by a goatee, which I thought this was. Yeah, that's interesting with the goat thing, too. And so what's emerged from, I guess, over a year and a half is uh, I remember somebody asked, I asked, early on after this happened, I said, what is initiation? And her response was just, it's death. And, uh, to kick the whole dream sequence I had off after the Venus conjuration, there was a circle of lights in the sky and they were slowly rotating. And this terrified me. And, uh, I went, I'm in the dream. There was a point of reference. It was the point of the roof of the church my uncle's church and um so i went back the day after this happened to the actual spot in real life waking life and i took a picture of the night sky with my camera and i went and put it in astronomy uh software and saw that exactly where the circle 
was in my dream, it was the tail of Scorpio. Oh, wow. Um, you know, that is like the death. Yes, uh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> 80s. So that was, I mean, you couldn't imagine how bad this freaked me out for like a really, really long time. <laughs> um, and in the ancient world, it was often called the beast. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, growing up with the mark of the beast, um, then reading some about uh, Islam where it says the Antichrist is one-eyed. And uh, after this thing, and in one dream, my right eye fell out. So I was like, oh. I was in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, my God, I've, got, I've received the mark of the beast. And I didn't even mean to. Uh, that was, And it was your right eye, did you say, or one eye? Uh, yeah, right eye. Right yeah, eye. Leaving you with the one eye. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. That's that's intense. Yeah, and then I got into Odin and the Norse stuff, and I was like, well, he had one eye, and he was like pretty cool. So maybe I maybe I should look at this as something cool that happened instead of like this horror. Uh, I don't know. Because that's my understanding. Right eye is sun, uh, left eye is moon, and part of me in magic it talks about. Uh, being healed of blindness in some uh, esoteric something another I came across, and I'm so I'm wondering if I continue in this, and if I do grow as a person, as an individual, and in spirituality, will I get my eye back, or what's mm-hmm. you know what's up with that? I also take the right eye as that which perceives all forms in the world kind of the logic rational um and certainly all forms all that kind of dissolved after after this type initiation or whatever you want to call it yeah it feels in just listening to some of your your dreams and the symbols you're working with it's it's definitely seems like a uh chrysalis of some sort you're coming through and um I, you know, I don't, I guess I don't view things in positive, negative. And when we, when we talk Mm -hmm. in those terms, like nothing's, no, Odin is not just a flat entity. There's a depth there. And so like with all entities, it seems like we have both a a wide variety of emotions. So what seems scary to some may Mm -hmm. not to others. The eye thing though is it, and then the eye and the mask and so I'm, I'm building a bigger picture here. Um, what you said about uh, trying to keep my train of thought going here. Uh, I didn't, let's see. <laughs> Blast. I lost it again. Oh, 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 oh. Um, yeah. With all this stuff, uh, like what you said about Odin, um, I'm starting to kind of have this picture built in my mind that the gods and goddesses, They've reiterated themselves. They are the stars. They are representative of these constellations or mm-hmm. archetypal things, whatever you want to call it. And it seems like they've reiterated, reiterated themselves in form, similar form and similar function in different times, different places, different cultures. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of getting a much, much bigger picture of what may be going on. Also, I never had any interest in reincarnation but I, i'm getting through this goat stuff uh and mithraism and this this 
all this stuff tied in that dreams have largely been responsible. This is the main channel. Uh, this stuff's coming, coming through that, uh, these constellations and times, um, and the stars and this stuff is like hugely important. Yes. uh, Well, this is, this is what always, this is kind of the, the crossroads of it all for me here is what, what is actually more real? So I know that we can hone in and say, here's, this is tangible, this experience we're having, we're all three talking and we're in our environments and all that. But then once this is gone, this is no more real than anything else in, you know, in the ethers, whether or not we have documentation. Um, Mm. So, and I think you addressed it earlier with, is the dream informing you or are you informing the dream? Where is the line? So where are you really learning? Where, where, what's, where are you really, where, you know, as a consciousness? Yeah. Yeah, uh, Sort of in the Western esoteric tradition, you have the idea of the, the good daemon or Mm -hmm. the higher self or, you know, I mean, Plato, had a daemon that went around actually talking to him and stuff. And I think that's the goal. All these guys trying to pursue uh with the Holy guardian angel. I mean, mm-hmm. I do think just with my dabblings, there is something out there uh, that is wanting communion with us and definitely altering us. And, you know, I go back to Einstein, what he said, about uh, the most important decision you can make is deciding whether the universe is friendly mm-hmm. or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, deciding which one are you going to believe. And uh, what also you said about polarity, the sort of evil, good, most destructive to that was Calvinism. Believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> so in Calvinism, you have this idea that everything is predestined and um i almost heard this calvinistic teacher rc sprouls go ahead and say god uh is kind of the guy pulling the strings on this evil stuff uh, which was you know in these, these circles that's unheard of especially in the christianity the pop christianity out there to get this idea of a true sovereign and it's just one system uh, mm-hmm. In Christianity, pop Christianity, there's definitely uh, duality. There's evil, it's on this side, and then there's good on this side. But it was Calvinism, Calvinism, and especially continuing that Buddhism, me poking around in Buddhism, that kind of going beyond those concepts of um, good and bad. I mean, I don't think anybody, most people would say Trump is either... <laughs> bad and there would be i don't know maybe another um about the same amount of people that say he was good and i'm sort of coming to a transcendent view of these something like that just as simple and practical as politics well trump's soul is here to do its thing and grow everybody Mm -hmm. uh cause evolution so I think that's when you really get into spirituality, you do transcend forms uh, in that way, sort of getting out of that. They're over there on that side. I'm over here on the right side. 
Yeah, I think, you know, that stratification, the, the whole thing is, seems, I mean, when we start parsing out like dimensional awareness and, and then, and breaking down the math of where we are and how we're experiencing things, it, it starts to open gates in the mind, gates of perception, which are also things we can experience through dreaming and, um, and breathing and other types of exercises and substances. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, the whole, the key, the master key here, as I'm starting, as I, th I think is somehow tied into dreaming. Like this is no matter how old you are, where you are, what you are, how you are, that is a universal experience. Mm -hmm. And it's universally available and through lucidity and uh, getting out of body and all that seems to be some sort of portal. And I, you know, this is why these come, I'm trying to have these conversations and, and, and fill in what, what my experiences are. And, and what I'm starting to see is definitely some overlapping themes. Um, especially with people that seem to have come from one place like you you came from a pentecostal experience and now mm -hmm. you're you're in a way different place even though there's a there is a good bridge there between the two mm -hmm. um but this is this has been fascinating i think we at this point should open up the conversation to the chat for questions we're about an hour right Jer? yes we are or five yeah, well, so if you have any questions, please put them in uppercase so I can pull them out. Not that there's a whole hell of a lot of chat right now. And Aaron, you can stick around for our after show that we don't do live and we can parse out some of the more woo woo stuff if I would like that. Okay, great. If you have the time. Yeah. We won't do five hours though. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Not a whole lot of so. questions coming through. Everyone's heard everything about you. Everyone knows you're saturated the market, Aaron. Well, <laughs> one thing you, you talked about gates. Yes. Um, there's a magician, uh, Frater Ashen Chasson, and he really got me on this idea of what we're doing when we use this tri trithemius to initiate into these uh, spheres. That's what we're doing is uh, getting access to different gates. And um, he kind of put it like these are normally locked to us. And you can never, as a magician, just freely go about the astral or the universe where you want to, when you want to. That there's all these guardians and, you know, whatnot. You can't just go mucking with the universe at your will. And what this initiation does is introduce you to these forces in control of the universe. And they're always, you know, kind of there with you, making sure you don't go somewhere you're not supposed to or muck something, <laughs> muck it, something up. So is for me, it like they, they um, once uh -huh. you overcome the fear of them, they become your sidekicks, that kind of aspect or, or guardians? That's uh, Mm -hmm. I think probably when people start this off, they're, they've got some shadow work to do. And I would say I'm probably in the middle of that. But things aren't as scary 
as they were in the first place uh, when I first started. You know, this these ideas are terrifying. Uh, some of the experiences I've had that Kelly's had, uh, the normal people out there that haven't experienced stuff like this, it terrifies them just even hearing about it. <laughs> uh, but it's almost like I've come through so much and so has Kelly and we're getting these understandings uh, that is, if this is reality, I mean, that's just reality. If there's, uh, you know, elementals and infernal spirits, chthonic spirits, Jen. the dead wandering around out there. I mean, this is, if it's how it, what's this, this is what's going on. Just accept, mm-hmm. <laughs> accept it. Right. And uh, it, it is see what, what it is, right? See what happens. It is what uh, it is. See, see who you can meet out there. I have questions. And it's exciting also, I think, just to hone in on that. If it opens up, it takes us out of the mundane. Really, life is not mundane. I don't care. That's what I've come to. That's I feel really secure in it. If Once you're open to the world, it does seem to be a more magical, mm, dynamic experience and place. Yeah, that's. I think that would be the number one thing that I've witnessed through this is just how scared people are they want to sit in front of their tv and watch seinfeld and be comforted Mm -hmm. that they they have their little spot in the universe carved out and they don't want to see or experience anything else and i think that's that's pretty tragic and yet they're moving uh, think, towards the grinder. <laughs> like we're all so I, I'm always so perplexed by that, that fear that keeps people really bound tight when in, inevitably you are mm-hmm. going to be pushed through that veil. And I, I wonder if what kind of dreams they're having. Like, can you imagine being the unconscious of one of those type of people? It's probably so frustrated. How am I going to reach this guy? It's the guy with the stapler in Office Space or whatever that movie was down in the basement with the stapler. You know, yeah, I, believe, I believe it's supposed to be paid last week. It's Mil- yes. Milton. <laughs> you know, I mean, I have to let go of your world. Come on. Yeah, Milton. Uh- yeah, we tend to him. get interesting people on here. That's like been one of our goals, but we should maybe get a couple of very straight-laced, mundane people at some <laughs> point, just for contrast. Mm-hmm. I think dreams, you're absolutely right that dreams are the uh, the gateway um, to experience and to uh, seeing what's out there. Okay, I got some questions. <clears throat> but I'm already lost. Okay, Robert Paul, Robert E. Paul asks, how did the Pentecostal church affect your magic and did you find Roman Catholicism? Um, Pentecostalism and the affecting my magic, um, I think it gave me the freedom to pursue some stuff that probably other people without that Pentecostal background I would think is just completely wacky. So I already had this Neoplatonic system of God, angels, demons already imprinted on me. And so I found the magical worldview works pretty well with Neoplatonism. Uh, Even Platonism. Um, So I would say that, in fact, that's what my former mentor Rufus Opus told me, he was like, Hey, 
with your background, you might have a very unique perspective on this stuff. And he sent me his, uh, this was years ago, his Neoplatonic Basics. And so that's what kicked it off. I started reading that and I was like, oh, wow, this is universe filled with daemons and nature spirits and local spirits. I was like, this is great. Uh, you know, there's all this stuff in between super celestial and chthonic spirits. There's a plethora of spirits in between those two. Like the liminal spirit. So, uh, what was the second question? Uh, did you, did you at some point end up finding Roman Catholicism or did you stumble upon it or check it out? Only through Christian apologetics. Uh, I used to love to listen to these guys. Oh, yeah. And it's funny. <laughs> lots of the Reformed guys, they will fall away from Calvinism and go to Roman Catholicism. And this is because Roman Catholicism offers such a rich experience. They get sick of the mental logic games. And Roman Catholicism is that opposite on the spec it almost romances them away from the intellectual realm of you know the hard cold calvinism so i i would i would like to uh when i went home from work i would turn on satellite radio and listen to the uh catholic guys doing apologetics against the reform guys and then during the day i would listen to the calvinists they're they're addressing roman catholicism mormonism and all that so vaguely, but I've never, I had a girlfriend who wanted to take me. She was a former Catholic, wanted to take me to a mass, but she broke up with me before that could be done. <laughs> so I never <laughs> actually experienced I Catholic mass. The, They're pretty I have scary. experienced that I was married to a man that grew up in that church. And the only thing I ever went to is the midnight mass for oh, that Christmas. Christmas period. Amazing though, in cathedrals, like in big gigantic cathedrals, midnight mass mm. with the, all the smoky incense and be, mm -hmm. if there, especially if there's a great choir is moving really like, I was like, wow, this is actually, you know, this is pretty magical <laughs> outside. It, and in Latin, it's all in Latin. So the incense keeps the demons away. It was it was the one thing I did enjoy. All right. I think as a magician, oh, it would be sorry. interesting. Uh, I think it's very close to ceremonial stuff, the Roman Catholic. But anyway, sorry. No, that's an interesting point, and let's talk about it after this because I just had I had the exact same thought at the exact same time. Anyway, um, <laughs> Suzanne asks, <clears throat> "Your you know that lady, Suzanne, is Aaron afraid he will bring in something bad or back with you?" Uh, that idea haunted me for about well over eight, nine months. <laughs> and then the, here we are back to this bad thing. Um, my former mentor, Rufus Opus, his, his first thing was jump as a do it yourself. Magician was jump headfirst into working with demons, uh, goetic demons. And so um, I thought that would be a good idea too. Uh, so when something actually happened, it was very terrifying, but as I integrated it into what was actually already my core belief system, well, if there are these, these dark aspects, uh, dark entities, they're there for a reason. And, um, they're there to grow us. Maybe they're even there to grow them. I don't know. We seem to be very closely associated 
with them and them with us. So yes and no uh, would be my answer. Um, I think they're there. If something does come in, it's there for a reason. It's there to teach you. Uh, so I think to be a magician conjuring demons, you have to be kind of crazy in the first place. <laughs> um, and really adventurous. So, and I think to keep your sanity, to have a very good sense of humor. Um, so it's not something I, I spend a lot of time worrying about, but I do think, uh, and that you don't want, and that would be hard to get rid of. I think that, that I've had heard several anecdotal stories from magicians where that thing has happened. Very cool. Very cool. All right, I see one more question here. It's from Kalendal, and it was, uh, "What kind? I think, what kind of magic do you prefer? What's your, what's your favorite magic to do?" Uh, so say far, Trithemius. Trithemius. Uh, mm-hmm. I think was Agrippa his student, or the other way around? I forget. I think Agrippa was his student. I'm pretty sure Robert um, Paul is all over that. He's still here. Robert will for sure know that. He loves Trithemius. <laughs> he absolutely adores Trithemius hugely and bigly. Oh, cool. And, and we are having him on at some point. I'm November sure 8th. Yep. Very cool. Yeah, I tend to call myself a uh, Trithemian if somebody asks, unless I get it mixed up with Trimethian, which I do about 50% of the time. Uh, other than that, I, I started out with... Uh, um lucky mojo reading uh, cats books on hoodoo so i like the folk magic stuff um locally there's a lot of wiccans uh that i interact with um get to talk, have chats with them um i i would call myself hermetic as well big fan of the golden dawn i'm toying with the idea of joining the aa just for some structure, even I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can do it or not. Shield well, uh, so yeah, but definitely hermetic with a leaning towards Trimethian methods. Trithemian methods. <laughs> very good, very good. All right, well that's about it. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Aaron. And we please stick around. Yeah, thanks for having me. Part it's two. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks. Thanks. Thank excellent you. question. <laughs> Thank you everyone for, <laughs> uh, for joining us tonight and look forward to part two when we release that, whenever I get around to it. And that's about it. Take care. Have a good one. See you next week with, I forget who, Amy Fry, I think. Yes, Amy Fry. She's Thank you everyone here. in the chat. I have no idea who that is, so I have to study this week. <laughs> all right. Take care, everybody.